Good evening, everybody. Let's all stand. Turn to 649. We're going to sing all the verses. 649. Satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one, silver. on your way to that heavenly mansion. Say amen tonight. Good to see each one here. So thankful that you are here with us tonight. And as pastor always calls it, our oasis in the desert, right? It's good to be here tonight and get away from the world and the things of the world and just focus on the Lord for a little bit. And so glad each one of you were here. We're going to begin tonight with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Bradley Watson if you would open us in prayer tonight, please. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I have a few announcements that I want to give to you. Of course, uh, Pastor uh, is out of town. I know we have some visitors here tonight. Glad that you're able to be here and visit with us tonight and be in our services. Our pastor is out of town. He's at the GIVF meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we'll be back Thursday night. Uh, so if you're wondering about that, that is where he is at. So you're stuck with me tonight. Um, but uh, I am looking forward to being able to bring the Word of God to you tonight. But we do have some announcements to make. Uh, number one, we have something very important going on this weekend. You need to be in prayer for the, uh, the Needfelt and Mirhoff wedding. And, of course, uh, uh, Ms. Sophie Mirhoff is going to be getting married. 
That'll be here at the church at 3 p.m. on Saturday. So be here and be a part of that and encourage uh, her. I know that she would appreciate that. They are registered at Amazon if you still needed to get a gift for them. But that'll be this Thursday night, or I'm sorry, this Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm looking already at the next announcement. March the 3rd, March the 3rd is uh, Brother Ben Quinlan. He will be here all uh, day with us preaching in the morning and evening services, so looking forward to having him here. Certainly no stranger to our church growing up here, and he and I got in a lot of trouble together growing up, but uh, uh, we've uh, matured a little bit, all right? Uh, but looking, I said a little, but uh, we're looking forward to having him here all day on Sunday, March the 3rd. Ladies, don't forget that you have a guild meeting coming up uh, on the 12th, all right? So you're going to have the, the ladies meeting uh, the 12th at 7 p.m. that night. That's a Tuesday night, so make sure that you're prepared and ready to be here for that. If you've never been to the ladies' meetings before, I would encourage you just to go and be a part, all right? And uh, you don't have to have signed up for anything. You just you can just show up and be there. So plan on being there on March the 12th, 7 p.m. And then don't forget on March the 16th, that's our uh, church-wide outreach. We'll be at 1030 in the morning. Uh, so make sure and be here for that on, the, on Saturday the 16th. There is that following Sunday, a linger longer after the p.m. service. All right, so uh, that on the 17th, so we'll, we'll have a good time there. Uh, lingering longer, all right, after the PM service. Good time of fellowship and fun together, and uh, that's always a great time. Um, the very next uh, large event that's going to be coming up is the youth rally here. And uh, that is going to be a wonderful night uh, together on Friday night, the 22nd. I would really encourage you uh, to make plans to be here that night and, and just to see what goes on. You will have a great time. The the speaker that night is Brother Sam Davison, of course, longtime uh, pastor, um, and now um, preaching all over the country and all over the world, really. Uh, and uh, you will really enjoy him. If you've never heard Brother Sam Davison preach, you're in for a treat. And uh, he is just a great man of God. Uh, he'll be here preaching. And then, of course, uh, Glory Bound Quartet will be here from Heartland Baptist Bible College. They'll be here singing uh, that night. And they're going to stay through and be with us all day, or at least, I'm sorry, in the morning on Sunday as well. So make sure that you're here for that. There's, there's some sign-up sheets in the outer for you as you leave. Those are to help us out with the food. All right, so we're going to have uh, the Lord's Chicken that night, uh, Chick-fil-A. And, uh, oh, come on. I guess that, that joke got everything it was going to get Sunday night, didn't it? But uh, we're looking forward to having that. Uh, Chick-fil-A for all, the, all those that will be here. That's, dinner's going to start at 6.30, be over in the gymnasium. And then the rally will start up here at 7.30. But if you can help us uh, with, with the different items on those lists out there and sign up and bring those uh, in, they need to be here no later than Thursday the 21st of March, all right? So remember what you sign up for. All right. I would encourage you to write that down uh, because between now and then you'll probably forget. And so that way you can you can bring everything you signed up for. And then uh, there are some flyers out there as well, some little postcards. You can take those with you and invite friends, family, neighbors, uh, kids down the street, anyone you'd like to invite. As I mentioned again Sunday night, the, the, the gospel will be preached. I can promise you that. And it's and it's not about the numbers, even though we'll have a packed house. It, it always is. But it, it's about getting the gospel out and seeing people saved. And so uh, make sure that uh, you take those, invite people and, uh, to come that night. And then don't forget, uh, we are going to have our Lord's Supper on the 26th. So if you're a member of Faith Baptist Church, set that Tuesday night aside and make sure that you're planning to be here uh, for the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night, March the 26th. Let's go ahead and get our um, prayer list out tonight. Hopefully you received one of those at the door. And with just a few things that we need to go over, some things we need to add uh, on there uh, tonight, and then um, some updates on a few things I need to give you. So we'll just start there on the left-hand column there near the top. Miss Marie Christian, continue to pray for her. Her eye surgery was supposed to be uh, yesterday. No, Monday. Yesterday. And it was uh, postponed again. And it's just been a real uh, frustrating thing for her and the waters. Um, they just keep postponing it. Um, she does have a little bit of a head cold, so as Miss Angel said, it might have been kind of the Lord's doing anyway, um, because she doesn't know if they'd have let her have the surgery with the, the cold that she's come down with. So be in prayer for her that she'll get over her sickness, but that also she can get this surgery taken care of on her, on her eyes. I know that she would uh, really appreciate the prayers there. And uh, also, uh, Brother Chuck Bellis had a, had a good report on him. He's completely recovered now from his fall, so uh, we've taken that off of there. But continue to pray for uh, his eyesight as well, if you would. Um, keep uh, Miss uh, Chris, Kristen and the Kennedy family in your prayers. Um, she did lose her grandpa this week, and so you'll notice over there on the far right there under other requests, the Kennedy family for bereavement. So now 
um, dad, aunt, and grandpa. And so I know that they would really appreciate your prayers um, for their family. Certainly pray for um, Pastor as they'll be traveling back, uh, flying back uh, tomorrow, uh, getting in tomorrow night. Uh, be in prayer for them as they're traveling. And then uh, just before the service, Miss Angel Waters uh, approached me. She had another prayer request. Um, Bethany, that's it, it's Bethany, right? Can't read my own writing. Bethany Miles, if you want to add her to your prayer list, Bethany Miles, it's a friend of theirs uh, from Nebraska. Uh, she has been diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. And uh, so it's, it's, it's not great. Um, she's going to have surgery next Thursday, the 29th. And this, if it's, as Brother Waters put it, it's, it's not life and death here, but if it's not taken care of, you know, it would not be good. Um, needs to be taken care of. But anytime you go under the knife, um, it's a serious thing. And this is a 10-hour surgery uh, that she has to go in for uh, with three doctors and a robot that's going to be working on her. So they would appreciate uh, your prayers there against Bethany Miles. And that, th that surgery is next Thursday, the 29th. So you can pray for her. We did have a praise that was given. Uh, Mrs. Bellis, uh, all her test results have come back benign. There's no cancer in anything. And so that's a real praise. So thankful for answered prayer there. Is there anything else we can add to the prayer list uh, tonight? Any updates or anything like that? Brother Parker. Okay. So Emily Romo. Emily Romo. Add her to your prayer list for uh, test results, and hopefully it'll come back negative, obviously. So. Okay. Let's sign another hand. Mrs. Hodges. Do you have a last name for that family? No? Okay. We'll just put her down. Uh, Jennifer, uh, loss of husband and bereavement. Okay. Okay. Brother Raymer. Okay. So we can take Martha Palmer family off of there. Anyone else tonight? All right, let's go ahead and have our men come forward, if they would. And uh, we'll so thankful we know that we can take these prayer requests to the Lord. And as is said so often, he already knows them, but we can share them with one another and bring them before him. That's what he asks us to do. And so thankful that uh, he hears our prayers and our requests. I'm going to ask Brother Will Kennedy, would you pray for these requests and then the offerings tonight, please?
for 589 589 what a friend we have in pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer trials and temptations is there trouble anywhere we should never be standing and turn your Bible to Psalms chapter 11. Thank you, Brother Waters. Psalm chapter 11 is where we will be tonight. And uh, good news for you, it is a short psalm. I have bad news for you, we're going to make this part one. But that's good news for you because that means we're not going to go till 8.45 tonight, okay? So, uh, no, I... I uh, as I began going through here, honestly, my first thought was, well, this isn't a very long psalm. And then as you dig into it, you're like, well, there's a lot here. All right. It's a very encouraging psalm and a very uh, it's got some good convicting things in here, too. And we'll get right into it. Psalm chapter 11. Begin in verse one in the Lord put I my trust. Well, we could just stop there for a minute, couldn't we? And just say, wow, if we could just learn to do that. We'd be a whole lot better off. In, in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Let's pray tonight. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. I am so thankful, Lord, to be able to come to a church, Lord, that stands on your word. Lord, to preach to a people that loves your word. And Lord, I don't take this lightly ever. Lord, it's a very humbling thing to be able to present your word. And I pray tonight that you would just help me. Lord, just uh, give me the boldness that I need tonight. Lord, hide me behind the cross and let your words speak tonight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated tonight. So, I'm not going to give you the title of tonight's message yet. All right? We're going to get there. In fact, you won't know the title of tonight's message until just about we're done. 
So when you hear me give the title of tonight's message, you can either amen because we're about done or amen because you like the title. Either way, you can amen about it. But uh, you say you want to keep it as a surprise? Well, kind of, but not really. No. Tonight, um, this message, we're, we're going to expose the scriptures. Um, and I'll be honest with you, there, there's going to be some, some, there's going to be some application, but most of the application is done in the second half of the chapter, okay? So there will be some application as we go through, but tonight's message is going to be more of a setup almost for what we'll see again in two weeks, all right? Um, and, and that's why I kind of felt like, you know, tonight would be an okay to do a part one because I preach again in two weeks on a Wednesday night. So, but so far as we've gone through the first 10 chapters of Psalms together, we've seen again that the majority of those have been a lament. All right. David has been crying out to God. He has been, uh, complaining, uh, uh praying, crying, uh, there's, David hasn't, hasn't done all the lamenting. There's been other psalmists as well, primarily David, but um, he's been the one for the most part crying out to the Lord for different reasons. And most of them, we found, had to do with his enemies. Okay, And, and his enemies were, were, were troubling him. They were coming after him. They were, they were coming against him. And, and so he found himself crying out to the Lord for, for different uh, reasons. But a, a few other reasons, though, in, in Psalm, for instance, in Psalm 6, it had to do with David, and he was mourning over his own sin, wasn't he? And he knew he had to get some things right with God, and this troubled him. And, and to be honest, we should be the same way. When, when we know that we're not right with God, it should trouble us. It should trouble our hearts. And if we ever get to the place in, in our life where, where when we are sinning against uh, the Almighty God and it's not affecting us or troubling us, there's a heart problem. Okay, so, so when you see David, you know, and he's crying out to God, and he's trying to get things right with God, that, that should be a good example for us to follow. And let's not forget that David would be a man again that God himself would call a man after his own heart. That's a pretty big accolade, all right? Uh, a man after God's own heart. Even though we know David had his issues, he wasn't perfect, we understand this, but this shows us over and over again that David was one that tried to follow his God the best he knew how. And he tried to have a heart and, and a life that was pleasing to the Lord. And David gives us examples over and over again in the situations that we've seen where he doesn't turn to the world to solve his problems. He doesn't turn to man to solve his problems. He turns to the Lord to solve his problems. He turns to the Lord to be his strength, to be his help, to be his comfort, to be his, to be his power. He turns to God for all of these things. We, we looked in, in chapter 8 and we saw David asking the question where he says, Who am I? Who am I? David looked up into the heavens and he, and he saw the glory of God and he saw all that God had created. And he literally asked the question, Who am I? Have you ever looked up and just said, Lord, who am I? Of all the things you've created and of all the things that you're involved with, who, who am I? In all reality, we're nothing. But we mean a whole lot to our Heavenly Father. We're His most wonderful creation. And He loves us. In Psalm 9, we learn from David's example on how we, we need to have a whole heart a whole heart of praise because of a God who is faithful all the time. He's faithful all the time. Not just when things are going good. You've got to remember that. Just because things aren't going the way you plan doesn't mean that God's not being faithful to you. Because He's always faithful. Even when things don't seem to be working out like they should, He's always faithful. The last time we were together, a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 10. Psalm 10. And we noticed something right away that we'd seen a lot of over the past nine psalms. And that was that Psalm 10, again, was a lament. It was another lament. And it seemed as though God, the God of creation, wasn't listening. It seemed as though He wasn't paying attention to what was going on. But in reality, He was. Because God's always paying attention to what's going on. We're going to see that a little bit again tonight. 
And David, he reminded himself that he could rejoice and he could have confidence because the Lord was the king and he is the king. And can I tell you again today that I know our world today is full of a lot of problems, isn't it? There's a lot of wickedness going on. There's a lot of controversy going on. But he is still on the throne today. He is still the king today. And nothing that's going on today has taken our God by surprise. Not one thing. Not one thing. And he has everything in his complete control. Everything. Now at the beginning of chapter 11, the title there above verse number 1 that we did not read, it tells us both the author and the audience of this song that's being sung here. Now, when it says to the chief musician, it could be talking about God himself. In fact, musician there is capitalized. I kind of tend to think that might be who it is. But there are others that think it possibly could be the leader of, of the choirs. It could have been the leader or a singer uh, in David's time, such as uh, Heman or, or the singer Asaph, the, the leader of the choirs that's found in, in 1 Chronicles. It could have been him. But regardless of who it is, we understand here that David is, is, is not lamenting. Okay, This is not a lament. In fact, when I tried to research maybe what this psalm might be, there was no clear... This is what it is. It's almost a song of, of praise and, and a psalm of thanksgiving, if you will. And so we're going to get into this uh, this morning, but, or this evening. But before we do that, I want us to turn to 1 Samuel. I think it's important here for us to get a full grasp of the, the context of what David's going through here. A little bit of background might help us. So 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, we're not going to take the time tonight to go back and read uh, five or six chapters of 1 Samuel. We really would be here uh, until all hours of the night. But we are going to skim through a few verses here that I think um, is important. And uh, it's going to kind of give us a little bit of overview or insight into what David may be going through here in his life. So in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, I want you to Go ahead and go to verse 26. Now, again, I'm not going to expound on everything that's happening. We'll just kind of hit through here a little bit. We're going to kind of walk through a few chapters here. Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 15 says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Now, that's a big thing to say. Okay? Samuel here, standing up to Saul... And telling him that you are no longer going to be the king. God is rejecting you. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord. And we understand that's, that Saul was beginning to go against what God's will was in certain areas of his life. Okay, We don't have time to go back through all of that. But look at verse 27. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he, Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. Saul was angry. All right, Verse number 28. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. All right, so Saul is not happy with what's going on. Now, let, let's fast forward a little bit here and go to verse number 14 of chapter number 16. Verse number 14 of chapter number 16. An evil spirit here is going to come upon Saul, but the, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now this is going to begin happening several different times as you go down through chapter number 16. But look at verse 18. It says, Then answered one of his servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Enter David. Okay? So Saul is needing some comfort. Who do they go and find? David. All right? And there's a lot of good things said about David here. Okay? Um, look at that verse number 18 again. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's cunning and playing. He's a, he's a mighty valiant man, a man of war. He's prudent in all matters. He's a comely person. And the most important thing, the Lord is with him. Now, I'm not trying to interject anything that may or may not be in here, but when someone has told you 
you're not going to be the king anymore. And then people are saying good things about David. I don't know what Saul's thought process was here. But he might have had an inkling of something going on. I think it's fair to to say that. Um, Turn to chapter 17. And here in chapter 17, and we're not going to read all of this, but you're going to find that Israel's going to go to war with the Philistines. And we've all heard of Goliath. Okay? And, And Goliath, of course, goes out. David comes and he fights Goliath and he wins. Okay? He beats Goliath in chapter number 17. We don't have time to go, even though it's one of my favorite stories, especially for kids, you know, and to get into all that. Great story there. But let's fast forward to chapter 18 and verse number 7. So David comes back from killing Goliath. And in verse number 7 of chapter 18, the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now look at verse 8. And Saul was very wroth. He was mad. He was beginning to get jealous of David. This one that everybody was liking. This one that everybody was talking about. This, this young boy that everybody seemed to like. And the one who now God was with him. But had departed from Saul. At the end of verse number 8. Saul asked the question, what can he have more but the kingdom? What more do you people want to give this shepherd boy than to just go ahead and give him my kingdom? Saul was not happy here. Look at verse number 9. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Verse number 11, and Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. He goes after David here. He wants to kill him. Look at verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Look at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. So you have Saul here trying to kill David, if you go back up, I missed one word I wanted to give you in verse number 11. The very last word of that verse says twice. He tried to do it twice. Not just once. He threw the javelin at him twice. Missed him. But David, in all his ways, was still, still behaving himself wisely before the Lord. He was not sinning. He was not going after God's anointed. He would not do that. Look at chapter 19 and verse number 1. Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. (laughs) So, well, I can't seem to have him killed. So how about, Jonathan, you go ahead and take care of that for me. And and have the servants help you. But of course, Jonathan wouldn't do it. Jonathan loved David. Look at verse number 10. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. Here it is again. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Verse 11, Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. He's still trying to kill him. Look at verse 15, and Saul sent messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. He's still trying to kill David. Fast forward to chapter number 20 now. Chapter number 20 And of course, this is uh, the covenant that that Jonathan and David make together. And you remember David's plan, right? And he's going to go out and hide. And then then Jonathan's going to come out and shoot the arrows. And if they fall short, then it's okay to come into the house. If they go far, he's saying, get out of here. Run for the hills because my dad wants to kill you. The king wants to kill you. He's still angry with you. Look at verse number 31. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. I don't think Saul was quite done trying to kill David yet. Sounds to me like Saul's anger was still kindled. Look at verse 32. And Jonathan Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Now there's the key. Right there. Because David had done nothing. 
except to follow his God. Except to serve his God. David had done nothing wrong. Saul was jealous. Saul wanted him dead. Saul wanted to kill him completely. I think if I were to go around the room tonight individually and ask you if you've ever been afraid of something, we could probably all tell stories of when we've been afraid of something. For some, some stories might be a lot scarier than others. Okay? Uh, it might be that, you know, as my children have tried to do in this church on multiple occasions, they try to jump around the corner and scare me when nobody else is here. I usually end up scaring them because after being here my entire life, there's not a whole lot of sounds I don't know. And I can usually tell when they're waiting. And they're usually the one that gets scared. And those are funny stories, right? But I know some of you are like challenge accepted. You're going to, anyway, I can hear, I already know some of you honorary guys back there. All right. But I will say this. There have been times in my life where I have genuinely been afraid. I can remember getting into several different car accidents in my lifetime. I was genuinely afraid. Um, there, there may have been times in your life where you were genuinely afraid. I think if we were to also go around the room tonight and ask individuals, individuals if they'd ever been given advice, we'd probably find that everybody in this room at some point in time had been given some kind of advice. Whether good or bad, you probably have been given advice or possibly given advice to someone else. Now, when you were given bad advice, that doesn't necessarily mean that the advice that you were given that was wrong had a bad motive behind it. Okay? It doesn't mean that the person that, that gave you the advice was intentionally trying to see you fail or fall, does it? Okay? Because there can be a lot of good motives behind that. It just may have turned out the wrong way. As humans, we have good intentions in mind many times. It just doesn't work out the way we intended for it to work out. You say, well, where are you, where are you going with all this, uh, Brother Eric? Well, now I want to put both questions together. Have you ever been given bad advice when you were facing a situ situation in your life where you were afraid? Have you ever been given bad advice where, when you were facing some kind of situation in your life where you found yourself afraid? And the advice that you were given was bad. That's what's going on in our text tonight. Okay? From the moment that, that Saul started to see David as a potential rival, jealousy came in. Jealousy came in. Now, as we just read in 1 Samuel, David here was running for his life. He, he was trying to get away from Saul. Sometimes not maybe running too far, but at least getting out of his presence. Okay? It's obvious when you read the story of Jonathan and David that, that David hadn't gone out of the country. He was still there. In fact, if you read the story there, the whole, the whole part, the beginning part of the plan that David set in place was see if the king will even notice I'm gone from the dinner table. Read it for yourself, it's there. Well, he didn't the first time. Well, he did the first time, but didn't think anything of it. In fact, the Bible says that Saul thought maybe he was just sick. But the next time he missed, he's like, why isn't he here? Where is he? What is he doing? And then, of course, the plan continues from there. So that tells me, though, that David was there. He hadn't run away. He was at least on the property or in the area and should have been at dinner. Okay, everybody following along? So David, even though he's running for his life and he's trying to watch around the corners, he hasn't headed for the hills yet, okay? Now, there are times where David is hiding out because Saul's right on his tail. He, you find him hiding out in caves and in the mountains and things like that, but Saul's right behind him. What is he supposed to do? Just stand there and let Saul kill him? He's not going to do that, but he's not going to lay his hand on God's anointed either, okay? But from the very moment that, that, that Saul saw David as a potential rival, jealousy consumed the king of Israel, and he began to think of ways to kill the son of Jesse. He twice cast the spears at him that we read um, while he was playing the harp for him. So, so David's playing his harp, 
and Saul's throwing spears at him. Well, that's a nice thing to do. Um, when these attempts didn't succeed, Saul removed him from the court and placed him in charge of a thousand Israelite soldiers. All right, so no doubt this was going to put David in harm's way. Okay, you're, you're in charge of these soldiers. You're going into battle. Maybe he'll get killed. Saul's mindset here. However, not only was David kept safe, but he even, he even attained greater fame because of his success in battle. Why? Because the Lord was with him. It wasn't because anything David was doing. It was because God's hand was on him and God was protecting him. Now, you would think after these failures would have, you know, would have been made that Saul would be a little more hesitant then to continue plotting against David. However, Saul was so consumed by his, by his madness, if you will, that he began to move against David even more. All right, so this didn't deter Saul from trying to kill him. Next, Saul purposefully tried to increase the risk of David losing his life by charging him to fight the Philistines in exchange for his daughter Michael's hand in marriage. Do you remember that? He sent him into battle. And he says um, that he would have to get 100 Philistine foreskins if he wanted to marry Saul's daughter. Go ahead. Go on there. Go kill, go kill 100 Philistines. Bring the foreskins back and then you can marry my daughter. He, is, he isn't going to make it. <laughs> it's one against 100. Well, Saul did better than that. Or I'm sorry, David did better than that, didn't he? He comes back with 200. He says, will this be enough? Saul wasn't happy about that either. Having David engage the Philistines so purposefully and directly would certainly increase the odds of David losing his life. But there was one commentator that said this. I love this. He said, um, if David were to have successfully or been successful in attaining the determined price for Michael's hand, the Philistines would then be set against David even more strongly, putting his life at additional risk for the foreseeable future. So it wasn't just that Saul was putting him in danger to marry his daughter. He also wanted him to be in danger in the future. But you know what David said? God's with me. This is what God wants me to do. I guess I better go do it. And he did it. And Saul's plan, <laughs> well, it kind of backfired on him, didn't he? Didn't it? He brought back twice the number of requested foreskins. This would, of course, guarantee that he would get Saul's daughter. It would also give David more fame throughout the land. Do you hear what David did now? He took them on head on. He killed 200 of them. My goodness. So Saul was forced then to give Michael to David to keep his promise, which would have led Israel to think of David as royalty because now he's marrying the princess. Hmm. The potential heir of Saul's throne. In all of this, Saul continued to set himself against David. He continued to go after him. This shows us, number one, the extreme hardness of Saul's heart, doesn't it? Uh, especially when we read that the king knew that God was with David. He knew that God was with David, yet he was still trying to kill him. Yeah. Only resisting, uh, only those given over to sin are foolish enough to continue resisting the Lord when they know, when they know that he's not on their side. But that's what Saul was doing. Or even worse, they're not on God's side. Hmm. After all, God will give victory even over death itself to all those that are on His side, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57 says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that victory tonight? Amen. But now we're going to get into the real message tonight. Because you see, it's during this time of running as a fugitive from Saul that this psalm would seem to have been written. And it appears that in this text tonight that David has some, some friends. I don't know how close these friends were. They may have been uh, just acquaintances. They may have been close friends. They may have even been some distant relatives. They might have been some family. I don't know. But there are some advisors here that are advising David. And they're not giving the greatest advice, even though maybe they think they are. Now, they're trying to help him, but these friends are, they're talking with David. They're, they're no doubt 
not only afraid for David, but, but no doubt also afraid for their own lives. I mean, they're with David, okay? And Saul's coming after them. And, and by the way, you think, well, what did they do? What had David done? Okay, so you can't just say, well, they didn't do anything. Well, neither did David. How about, how about the priests that Saul killed? What have they done? I mean, this, Saul was going out of his mind here, okay? And so he's going after anybody and everybody that's going to aid and abed David. So there's no doubt that these people that were with David, these advisors, were not only just afraid for, for his life, but their own also. Now, as we begin reading here in our text tonight, you might have gotten the same thought that I did when I thought of the story of Job. The story of Job came to my mind because Job's friends didn't always have the greatest advice either. All right. In chapter 15, I mean, he thought they thought they had the answers to Job's problem and, and they meant well, but but it wasn't great advice. And that's similar to what's going on here. Now, the psalm records the words of these friends who had good intentions, but were faithless. I'm going to say that again. These friends were faithless. OK, and, and, and gave faithless advice to David. In fact, we're going to see as we go through here that their advice is really rooted in fear, not in faith. And as he was running uh, from his life, or running, running for his life from Saul, these, these men were trying to advise him. But as we're going to see, David has the right answer to give to these well-intended friends. And again, he's going to give us another great example of how we should have faith. So the first thing we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at David's response to fear. David's response to fear. Look at verse number one of our text back in Psalm chapter 11. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. Now to flee, that word flee there, it literally means to get. <laughs> if you look it up, that it says to get. The next word is to disappear. <laughs> get out of here. Go away. Make yourself not seen, David. That's what these advisors are telling him to do. So what is David's response to the advice of his friends? Well, look back at the beginning of the verse. He says, in the Lord put I my trust. You must remember that David was putting his trust in the Lord a long time before now. Okay? This wasn't, this wasn't just like all of a sudden these, these advisors come to David and they say, David, David. You've got to get out of here. Flee. Go to the mountain. Flee like a bird. Get you out of here. And David was like, ah, I think today I'll just trust God in it. That, that's not how that went down. Okay. David was putting his trust in God a long time ago. All right. So it was easy for David now to just say, you know what? <laughs> in the Lord, I'm putting my trust. Why do I need to run? Why do I need to be afraid? Why do I need to fear? I don't need to fear. Because God's on my side, all right? Now, David was living a life, we understand, as a fugitive, but he'd already killed a lion. He'd already killed a bear. He had already killed the giant Goliath. These were things in his past. This was not the time for him to start running and living in fear. He was, he was, we understand that he was being constantly hunted. He was being constantly hounded uh, by, by Saul. So he was always in danger. And now you have his friends who, who were well-meaning, but they were telling him to flee like a bird to the mountains. But David knew that this was the wrong thing to do. He knew this was the wrong thing to do. So he asked the question in the following line in verse number one. So he says, in the Lord put I my trust. But then he begins to ask questions to these these advisors, he says this, How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? How are you going to tell me to flee? You get the idea here that David was kind of upset, in a way, at least I do, that they would even suggest that he would run away. Do you remember back in chapter, I think it was 19, uh, 18, that we read a few minutes ago, they said that David was a valiant man and a man of war. Why is he going to run? He, he probably took that a little offensively. I would. If I, was, if I was known as a man of war and a man who had killed a lion and a bear and killed a giant and had stood up to the enemies and had already stood up to Saul several times and you're telling me to run now? This is not the time to run. That's what David's saying. No matter how well-intentioned these friends of his were, their advice to him was that of fear. They were afraid. 
And that advice was in direct opposition to the position of complete trust that David had in his Lord. You see that word Lord there in verse number one is the all-sufficient one, Jehovah. That's who he put his faith and trust in, was the one that created the universe, the one who had everything in his complete control. And David understood that God had him and his situation in complete control. Spurgeon said this, he would rather dare the danger than exhibit a distrust in the Lord his God. That's what David did. Look at verse 2 and 3. David is answering more of what these friends had been telling him here. He says, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright. For lo. For lo. It literally means for look. To look. These these advisors here, they're telling him, the wicked are ready to fire their arrows at you, David. In our vernacular today, we might say they have the gun ready to go. They're ready to shoot at you right now. They're ready to kill you. Run away, David. Hide from them. That's what they're saying to him. And again, they, they mean well, but they have an attitude of fear, don't they? They have an attitude of fear. This, this ungodly advice for them is, is ungodly advice for them to be giving him. One man likened this to that of Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, I tend to agree because when Peter advised Jesus not to go the way of the cross, I mean, Peter meant well, but what did the Lord tell him? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's advice was ungodly. It was wrong. And that's similar to what's going on here. These these advisors, they they mean well. They're just trying to look out for David. But again, their advice is rooted in fear. Let this be a lesson for us tonight that you and I must always be careful of the advice that we give to others. We need to always be careful of the advice that we give to others. First of all, we need to make sure that that we are minding our own business. I'm going to say that again because we need to make sure that we're minding our own business because sometimes we have a tendency to be busybodies and put our noses in where it doesn't belong. And we have a tendency to give advice to people that haven't even asked for it. But we think we have all the answers. But what all of a sudden made us so perfect? 1 Timothy 5.13. Turn there if you would tonight. 1 Timothy in chapter number 5. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse number 13 says, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I wonder how many times we've been guilty of that. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4? 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 4, look at verse number 11. And ye that study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. I think sometimes we just need to mind our own business. Now, I don't know, obviously, the whole background history here behind these advisors of David. I don't know how close again they were to him or were not to him. But it would almost seem like David didn't want to hear him. And maybe they were just people that were not minding their own business. And they weren't giving good advice. But secondly, I think if we're not careful that we, it can be very easy to form opinions and give advice in our own confidence and pride instead of seeking it from the Lord. We need to be careful that before we give advice that's even asked for, that we seek God about it. Because it's very easy to give advice in our own strength. Yep. We might have good motives. We might have good motives behind it, and our hearts may be in the right place, but that doesn't mean that we're going to give advice that's right. The advice might be wrong. So we need to be careful. You see, Job's friends used these words when he said, I will show thee, hear me, and that which I've seen I will declare. But he was wrong. He was wrong. His motives seemed to be right, but his advice was bad. We need to be careful the advice that we give to others and make sure that it's what God would want us to give before we give it. Look at the next phrase. It says that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. That that word privately there means secretly. Secretly. 
The friends that David's listening to are trying to warn him of a possible secret attack. Now we know already in the past that Saul has tried to find David and, and, and do it secretly. He's even asked other people to kill him. I mean, he has, he has people that are, that are he's, he's trying to get to go after him. So his friends are warning him about this. Um, if you and I are, are fearing what we cannot see, then we're walking in fear. And God says in, in his word in 2 Timothy 1.7 that he's not given us the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear, when we have it, is brought on by Satan himself. It's not brought on by the Lord. That's not something that God puts within us, a spirit of fear. How about verse number 3? Verse number 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's interesting. David's friends again here were trying to warn him. I believe the idea of what they're basically saying is this. The very foundation, the very foundation of King Saul's uh, government is destroyed. And, And what can a righteous man like you do now? Everything has gone bad. The the literal civil state of the government is so wicked and it's so messed up. There's nothing left for you to do but to flee for your life, David, because you're not going to be able to fix it. What can the righteous do? You ever feel like that in our world today? (laughs) Anybody that says the Bible isn't living is wrong. Because I'm telling you right now, this directly applies to what we deal with a lot today in today's society. You look around at all the wickedness around you and there's so few that are trying to do what's right. So, so few that are trying to live for the Lord and do what's right. And you wonder, what in the world can we do? Well, you know what we can do? We can do what David did. And he had faith. He didn't run and hide. He stood up for what he believed. He stood in the face of danger. When David heard those words, what can the righteous do? I can only imagine that his flesh was probably wanting to flee for his life. I mean, who, who wouldn't? If you were going to stand here tonight and tell me, well, I wouldn't. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I guarantee you that in his flesh, he probably wanted to get out of town. Probably wanted to save his life. But he knew in his heart, you know that heart that was one after God's own heart? He knew in his heart that he couldn't do that. He couldn't, he couldn't listen to this advice. He knew that even though his friends might have thought they were doing right by telling him this, that he couldn't heed this advice because it would be a compromise if he did. David knew that he couldn't run away and hide. Again, Spurgeon put it this way. He will use such plausible logic. I love this. Get this tonight. He will use such plausible logic that unless we once for all assert our immovable trust in Jehovah, he will make us like the timid bird which flies to the mountain whenever danger presents itself. As soon as you, as a Christian, start to take Jehovah out of what's going on, you're going to run for the hills. But you know what you need to do? You need to do what David did and said, in my Lord I put my trust. Because in Jehovah was his trust. And he remembered that everything that he was about, God was in it. God was with him. God was watching him. And if God was with him, he was going to be okay. He could have faith. David knew that it was up to the righteous to take a stand for what was right, even if it were just a few. Or even if it was just he alone. He had to stand up for what was right. He knew that running away and hiding was not the right answer. And this is what ultimately brings us to the title of tonight's message. Faith is the answer to fear. Faith is the answer to fear. David's friends thought they were helping him. And I I really believe they were trying to help him. I really do. But they were giving him advice that was rooted in fears. It was rooted in fears. And for the remainder of this text... We're now going to see David giving them answers that are grounded in faith. He gives them answers that are grounded in faith. Now, David exemplifies his faith by reminding these that he's talking to and in turn reminding all those that are around him that are watching him of four specific things. All right. Now, I gave a little bit of emphasis to what I just read because 
those that were around him watching him is an important thing. Because we need to remember that we're being, exa- being an example to those around us. You may not be a good one. I may not be a good one. But I'm still an example. It goes back to one of my favorite quotes that I've used from this pulpit multiple times. It says this, Nobody's useless because you can always serve as a bad example. Okay? Nobody's useless because you can always serve as a bad example. And you know what? David, he wanted to be a good example. And he knew there were people watching him. Not just these people he was talking to, but there were others. There were others. And they're watching how he is going to respond in this situation. Can I just tell you there are people watching you? And they're watching how you respond in situations just like what David is going through here. They're watching how you stand up for what's right in a world today that is so against anything godly. They're watching you. Can, can I tell you tonight that your kids are watching you? Your grandkids are watching you? The youth in this church are watching you? And the young adults in this room, we're watching you older ones too. I'm not trying to be funny by saying I'm just being serious. There are some of you in this church I've looked up to my entire life. It's true. And I've watched you take stands for what's right. And I am in deep gratitude to you. And so should the rest of the youth in this church be in gratitude to you. And it's not because you stood up and said, well, look at me. (laughs) Look what I can do. I'm standing for God. No, it's just because you had real faith. And there are those that are still watching. And there are those that are watching my generation and generations behind me. And how are they going to stand up and have faith if we don't? Let me give you the answer. Most likely they won't. They won't. David understood this. He understood that he was being watched. He understood that he needed to set an example of faith. And as we read the rest of this chapter, which we're going to get into next time, we're going to see that he gives them four four specific responses of faith. But I have a few questions I want to ask you tonight as we begin to close. Number one, what kind of advice are you listening to or giving? What kind of advice are you listening to or giving? Be careful, number one, where you get your advice from. Be careful who you're listening to because that coworker that you have at work, they may mean well. Unfortunately, most likely, they probably don't know the Lord. And they may not have the greatest of advice to give. So be careful where you're getting your advice from. Make sure that it's godly advice and make sure that it's coming from a godly source. What kind of advice are you giving? Make sure, number one, the advice was asked for. (laughs) And then make sure if you're giving the advice that it's godly counsel. It's godly counsel. Number two tonight, are you living in fear of something? I, I mean, I don't know what everybody goes through. But are you living in fear of something right now? Because maybe God's asking you to do something in your life and you're afraid to do it. Maybe God's asking you to step out by faith. Well, didn't we already say faith is the answer to fear? Maybe He's asking you to take a godly stand in some area of your life or at work or with a coworker or a friend or maybe even a relative. What kind of an attitude do you have? Is it one of fear or one of faith? Maybe you're afraid of some circumstances that are going on in your life. 
I'd submit to you tonight that your lack of faith and living in fear is a direct result of your lacking in your personal walk with God. And that's a hard one for me to swallow because there's times I'll admit to you I'm afraid of things. And I've been afraid. But do you know what that stems from? I don't walk with God like I should. Because if I did, I would be remembering that He's in control. And I'd be giving it all over to Him. So I'm going to say that again. That our living in fear of whatever the situation may be is a direct result of our lacking in our personal walk with God. It's a direct result. So let me ask you a question. Will you stand and do whatever it is God's asking of you or desiring of you or asking you to to do? Remember, the answer to the fear in your life is faith in God. That's the answer. Let's bow our heads together tonight.